That's all right. Having fun tonight. But it's five o'clock in the morning now. Burlington, Vermont, you're in Amit's house. Welcome to each and every one of you this evening, whether you're a daddy-o or a dignitary, a dreamer or a drunkard. Welcome to Amit's house. Tonight we are looking back to a great conversation we had with, uh, well, with Amit's house dignitary herself, royal family of the Atlantic Sound. We're going to be looking back to a conversation with Dana Dowd, the daughter of legendary engineer, producer, inventor, physicist, her dad, Tom Dowd. So as we say each and every week here in Amit's house, take off your shoes, please take off your hat. You're in the presence of musical royalty tonight. We're going to kick it off with one of the royal ones himself, for Mr. Ray Charles. Tell me, what I say? I say, welcome to Amitas.
All right, here we go. Part one of our conversation from 2015 with Dana Dowd. Well, everyone, it is uh, a great pleasure to uh, speak to folks uh, that, that are right at the heart of the flame here in Amit House. And tonight uh, we have the ability to speak to uh, the daughter of one of the great men of Atlantic Records, truly great men, capital G, the one and only Tom Dowd. And we speak today to his daughter, Dana. Dana, thank you for coming on to talk about your life and your amazing dad's life here in Amit House. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, Dana, you know, um, the catalog that your dad worked on, the work uh, that he created uh, with Amit and Jerry and Nesui and Arif, so amazing, so life-changing, covering, you know, nearly seven decades Hard to get our arms around it. Have you had the chance to take a step backwards as his daughter and, and really, you know, understand and embrace the thing that your dad did? Because on top of it all, he's still your dad, which is another whole part of your life. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's quite funny because um, obviously my, when, I, when I was, um, my father passed away when I was 24, going on 25 years old. I was the product of his second marriage. But he and I were, were extremely close, you know, from, I was daddy's little girl and I was the only girl. Um, so, so we were always extremely close and I grew up with the likes of Eric Clapton, you know, the Allman Brothers in my, in, in my youth because those are the projects that he was working on. Um, however, you know, there was this whole other <laughs> four eras of music that happened before me and, um, after he passed away, it's sort of my lifelong mission being the executor of his estate and one of the owners of Tom Dowd in the language of music um, to preserve his legacy and to sort of try to, you know, get his message across to people so that everybody really knows everything he had his hand in. So honestly, till this day, I, I still find out things that he worked on that I didn't know about. Um, it's like a running discography, and, you know, he had printed a discography at one point <laughs> before he passed, and somebody had asked him to print it out for them and fax it over to him, and it was something like 75 pages in 11 fonts <laughs> of all of the albums that he had, that he had worked on from, from the very beginning. And uh, I, I can testify to that, uh, absolutely, because up to about the very early 1980s, I have a 42-page discography in teeny, teeny print, single-spaced, 42 pages, and that only goes through the early 80s. I mean, wow, what a career. I mean, what, what a hand, a, a worker bee, holy mackerel, a guy that just produced and produced and produced. Yeah, I think he can, you know, I think he, he can attest, you know, anybody can attest to the fact that if you watch Tom Dowd in Language and Music, the documentary about his life, you know, he, he started off as, 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 a, as an engineer during the engineering strike in 1947, and he was still working with Voice of America at the time, and it was sort of a side gig for him because he loved what he did and he played so many instruments himself. And all of a sudden, that, you know, that turned into this full-blown career. But he was doing sides with Tito and Pachito and all of those guys on Tico Records while he was still just an engineer as a side gig. 
Um, and his, the first hit that he ever had wasn't actually on Atlantic Records. It was um, Irene Barden, if I knew you were coming out of Bake the Cake off a of national. Oh, nice. First of all, certainly um, the documentary, um, it is something that I have watched uh, probably four times. I have passed it along to many, many people. I think I know where my copy of it is right now, but I'm not sure. And it is, uh, I mean, it's a goosebump. The whole thing is filled with goosebumps. Uh, it ends with a goosebump moment that always has me holding my heart. And I don't even realize that I'm still doing it. I, I'm just in awe of... Oh my God! Tom Dowd is remixing Layla in front of my eyes. I mean, I mean, I still get it, but right now, I mean, I just had a shiver, and, I'm, and it's really warm in my studio. But I just had a shiver with goosebumps up my arms because that's that's how beautiful and important, and that's only one I, one drop in the bucket to, to, uh, to the work of your dad. But um, but no, but the uh, you know the beauty, uh, you know, not just quantity is is certainly impressive, but the beauty of, of what he worked on. And when you look at, uh, you know, some of these, these pictures, you know, that, that take us back to that day and age, and you look at the smile, and you look at the admiration of coworkers uh, and musicians who knew that, okay, we're in, we're in very capable hands here. We are in the best hands possible to translate the heart of our music down onto that acetate onto that piece of vinyl. I mean, that's just, that's something that's just so beautiful to be able to have given these, these artists. Yeah, you know, I think, I think Chris Blackwell, when Chris Blackwell um, taught Tom Down the Language of Music, our, our distributor for the film, is Chris Blackwell. And Chris knew my father, and obviously Ahmed and Chris were the dearest of friends. Um, and he said, you know, I'd seen your father in the studio before, but I, 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 it was more, Chris was like swinging in on gigs of things that they were working on. You know, he wasn't really in the studio with him, he said. And then all of a sudden, I saw your father for the first time in the film actually counting off mm. the music. He said his, 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 his proficiency in music and not just actually, you know, playing as many instruments as he did. Um, but the technological and the math and the science and all of the correlations that my father had with the math, the science, actually reading, writing music himself, and then the mathematical and engineering components of being able to count off what it was, that, that sort of all-encompassing gave him the ability to really ultimately, you know, invent the, the, the linear fader concept and all of that, which... Is, is, is it was the beauty of the man is, is that he wasn't just proficient in one aspect of music, but he really knew it from the bottom up. So I think that that really lended for, for not only his contributions to the artist, but his contributions to some of the things that he helped the industry as a whole, such as you know stereo recording and linear faders and all of that. So a lot of people don't realize until they see Tom Dowd of the Language of Music that he was a nuclear physicist who played a multitude of instruments <laughs> and, and, and was proficient on so many levels. <laughs> and thankfully he left the world behind. Because boy, yeah, thankfully for all of us. <laughs> for all of us, absolutely. I wouldn't want a mind like that out there building bombs right now. We've got enough crazy people out there building bombs. You know? <laughs> but, I mean, well said. <laughs> 
But, um, you know, not to imply your dad was ever a bomb builder, but, you know, part of this, this massive thing. And, uh, you know, we leave that to history for, for history to decide what, uh, about that. But, you know, that he took this precise mathematical mind um, and was able to live a life um, almost doesn't sound like the time that he did it. It almost sounds like somebody that would be, that would be in their in their heyday now, in a, in, a, in a so-called digital age. He took that precision, but yet nothing that he touched, I've ever felt, has any sterility to it or, or any coldness. It is deeply uh, and, and, and warmly emotional music. So what an incredible thing to combine those two abilities. Yeah, and, and, and again, I think that, that that blessing, you know, really comes from the fact that he did play instruments. Um, so the fact that he was that he was musical himself, and ultimately that he didn't just play instruments in sort of one area. I mean, he played horns, he played bass, he played piano. So it was really important when he when he was capturing the sound for it to sound the way it was supposed to sound without the distortion. And, you know, we all know that those old rooms back in the day weren't exactly recording studios. I mean, Atlantic Records, it was an office, and at night they used to put the desks on top of each other for the sessions. So for him oh, to yeah. be able to <laughs> say that again. What a beautiful thing that was, right? I mean, <laughs> bringing in double Marshall stacks into that little room at, uh, at 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Yeah, I mean, that, that, was, that was cream with the double stacks of Marshalls. <laughs> Um, so, so, but for him, it was really, it was about, and he was really one of the first people to ever do it, um, it, it, it was to, to, to mic all the instruments, because it used to be that the musicians would all stand around, and then if there was, you know, a horn part, the horn player would step up to the mic. If there was, you know, a bass part, the bass would, you know, be moved to the mic, and, and, and it really wasn't effective or efficient from a protocol standpoint because, you know, you were only using two tracks if you were lucky back then, but it didn't seem space effective. I mean, you're having to move a bass if there's a bass part, you know, to that, to that mic or putting that bass right in front, and it didn't seem effective or efficient from him from, from a personnel standpoint, but also to get the proper sounds of the instruments onto the tape, or onto the acetate, I should say. <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, and the ability to, um, to, to understand musicians, to come from a musician's perspective, um, not just the engineer's or the producer's perspective, um, certainly gave him credibility uh, with some amazing musicians who would, would you know, always see themselves as, you know, you're the guy that does this and I'm the guy that does this. Now all of a sudden there's a guy who, who understands me as a musician, who understands what I'm trying to do or that I'm, uh, the, the language, like the, like, the, like the DVD is called, the language of music. Someone that understands the language of music and as well as the science of the music. Um, that must have been surprising, I bet, to a lot of, uh, a lot of folks uh, throughout, the, throughout your dad's career. Yeah, I, I think, you know, again, in the film, you, you, you say, you know, Eric Clapton says, he said, at that time when my father and Eric had their, you know, had their first introduction during Cream, 
he didn't, he says, I really wasn't interested in people like that at the time. And then you go on to him getting in the recording studio and getting down and dirty with the guys and, you know, recommending the drum beat on, you know, on what is one of the rock and roll's most popular songs or, you know, saying that that bass line isn't going to work there, that guitar part isn't going to work there. And being able to say those things, and because at that time, or at that point in the game, he had already created a track recording, so he was able to capture different takes and then play them back and blend them together. So it wasn't necessarily, initially he would make the recommendation, and if it worked, it worked. If it didn't, I'm sure there was one or two artists that were like, damn this man, <laughs> you know, it didn't work. But, you know, at further down the road, when it came up to the cream time and, 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 and some of those, you know, 60s and 70s groups, when he was already, you know, recording on 8-track, and the ability to say, hey, listen to it this way, then listen to it this way, and his recommendation um, you know, coming across so much better than the initial take, I think really took him to a whole another level of a relationship in the, with the artist, um, starting you know, probably with the Ray Charles's of the world.
one from the great Milt Jackson and John Coltrane, Bags and Train. On now with our interview with Dana Dowd. It really all started with what I say, and the reason that that was on two sides as opposed to the one was because it was overlapping in time, and it was never going to fit on one side. So he just kept recording it and created, came up with the idea to Ahmed and Jerry, and he's saying, hey, you know, you should probably, we, we, we should probably cut this on both sides. Um, because it is such a great piece. So, you know, moving forward from there, um, with the technology that he helped invent, I think is what really, really helped not just obviously him, but the artist in that relationship. Can you think back to, um, now, you know, did you go to work with your dad? You know, did you see your dad at action, or was he kind of, did he keep family and the business separate in that sense? My my father never said to any of us, no, you can't come to work with us. And I, you know, I was very fortunate because, you know, at that point, Criteria had been built and a lot of things were being recorded in Criteria. Right. And um, he actually had his office at Criteria at one point um, from its inception until, you know, turning of the hand. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I was at Criteria very often. The other thing is, is that my mother was very adamant about when my father traveled because he did, as I was being brought up, a lot of artists in California and in New York and in England particularly, um, that we'd be where he was if my school allowed it. So I had a lot of, I had a lot of time traveling with him. Um, to a certain degree or going to where he was when we had long weekends at school or summer break or winter vacation. So I was sort of always around the recording studio. Um, Not to say that, you know, I could interrupt him. It wasn't a good idea to interrupt him or the artist. And that was something that was very, it was understood at a very early age. there's There's no interrupting what's going on as a child. So I, I really did have a great ability to watch him work. Some of your fondest of the memories uh, that, that you were uh, musically uh, watching uh, watching happen, being that fly on the wall, what were what, what, some of those? Wow, some of my favorite memories. That's a good one. Um, you know, my, 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 as I call my musical family, is really, you know, to this day, um, the Almond Brothers. So I knew of these men, and I knew how special they were to my father as people and, and everything else. And then all of a sudden, I had the ability to watch them start recording again when they did Seven Turns. They recorded Seven Turns down here, which was their first album after the um, Dreams anniversary tour. Right. And it was, uh, wow. it, was a pretty amaz- it was a pretty amazing experience, especially those guys because there are so many of them, you know, there's not just a guitarist and a singer, (laughs) there's two drummers, there's two guitarists, there's a bass player, there's a singer that has an organ that occasionally, you know, that plays guitar as well. So being able to watch them being recorded live and everything falls into place with so many musicians and really how special the relationship was between so many different musicians is a pretty fond memory. Mm. 
um, you know, I've, I've been... And by that on time, the, in 1990, they had a good, you know, your, your dad and, and, and the brothers uh, uh, had had a, a very lengthy uh, relationship at that point, you know, from, from the very beginning, from the very early days. So, I mean, you're talking a long time together. Yeah, I, I mean, all of those, all of those guys, you know, Damo, Butch, Dickie, and Greg, um, really looked to my father like father figures. Um, I call them all my uncles, you know, until this day. <laughs> I, I speak to them all, you know, as often as often as I, I possibly can. Their schedules in my schedule. Um, their relationships were all really special and all very unique. It's certainly so. your dad's uh, relationship, uh, you know, in, in the beginning uh, with Dwayne uh, as that, uh, you know, that young hippie kid that just was hanging around the studios uh, that, that Jerry Wexler heard over the phone. And, you know, that was a marvelous time. And what a, you know, an ability to work that gentleman's great, uh, great guitar sound into the works of so many people. Another beautiful, a masterful stroke. Yeah, unfortunately, I never, I never, you know, got to meet Dwayne, and um, sure. you know, I, I, I was, I was born after that. Um, so I was, I was after both Dwayne and I was born both after both Dwayne and Barry passed away. Um, unfortunately, but I do, um, you know, I, I've, I've heard so many stories, and obviously, you see from the early recordings, you know, the inspiration in the band. And some of the original things that you know they laid on tape, and some of the amazing, you know, Fillmore East and all of that stuff. Um, obviously, I would have loved to have met both of those gentlemen, but <laughs> clearly not an option. <laughs> sure, exactly. Yet you know, it's, it's it's interesting though. You know, when you get to you you get to a point where you spent so much time with music made by people. Um, who who were passed before you came? Some some cases long long passed before uh, your time on the, on the earth arrived, and before you discovered their music, you get to a place where you feel like that was so much their heart and soul that in some way you did know them. You know, so through working with your dad and through all of those years, somehow or another you you know Dwayne because your dad helped bring Dwayne out to the world and to put him on that beautiful, beautiful forever display. And so then we all get to know Dwayne, in quotes, know Dwayne. Those of us who never even met him. Right. It's the beauty of music and the beauty of storytelling and somebody inspiring, somebody, you know, inspiring so much into a band and them really carrying that inspiration in one form or another, no matter how many spinoffs there have been to that band since, um, is, is it, it's an amazing thing. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that, um, you know, you guys know about his daughter's book. Yes, Galadriel's, yes, beautiful work. Yeah, um, I have... Um, I haven't I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I'm in the process of editing my father's book, um, but you know I uh, I've, I've heard wonderful things about it, and just being able to continue that legacy I think is you know mm. as imperative as it is to continue my father's. So it's really nice that that the legacy is being properly continued. 
without without it without a doubt i mean that's certainly our uh, effort here uh not having a family connection but uh to speak to folks that knew your dad or that worked with him uh engineers musicians uh, whomever um and then to speak to family like yourself i mean that's that's important so t- tell me can you tell me a little bit about the book then I, i'm not i'm not aware of of uh, what's going on with it here what, what's happening so basically basically the 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 whole reason that tom down in the language of music came about was because my father was writing his memoir and my father was in the process of um working with an a, a group down here on a demo deal and Mark Mormon the director of the film happened to be friends with somebody in the group so he stopped by Criteria Recording Studio one day because they said you know we're working with this illustrious producer you have to come down he's amazing you have to meet this man and it was my father and all of a sudden the director Mark Mormon met my dad and he was watching him work and he was like this is crazy he's like this man is really impressive and Mark it turns out was a fan of a lot of the music my father had worked on but didn't really know that it was music that my father you know had had worked on so he turns around and he says i want to know more about your life like any good filmmaker would want <laughs> and my son my father says come back and i'll bring i'll bring you my stories my father had written 200 and something pages of um a book right and he came back the next day and that essentially I apologize for the noise Tony I keep trying to go somewhere quiet and it's not working out <laughs> Oh yeah yeah I understand don't worry about it we can't <laughs> like, no matter where no matter where I go it just isn't working um, <laughs> So it turns out that he he brought him the 200 and something pages that he had already written with his essentially his memoir and um he read it in like, you know, 24 48 hours and Mark came back and said, "I feel like I need to tell your story." He said, "I'd like to with your permission make a film about you." Mm. And my father said, "I'd be honored." And Mark initially applied for a grant for Tom Dowd in the Language and Music and got a little bit of state funding. I'm talking I think it was $5,000. <laughs> and then and then it was the the film itself was really a labor of love um of all of the people in it nobody got paid to do it it was absolutely just all people who really wanted to the story told but it was all foundationally based on the book that my father had already written and actually capturing some of those stories and getting some of those artists on to tape and telling the story so the book which still exists <laughs> Um it's something that I've taken the liberty it wasn't it wasn't per se finished when my father passed away um and he he wrote very technically as well as very um anecdotal and it's sort of all put into one so I'm in the process of sort of reformatting the book because a lot of people in the business don't feel like they're getting enough of the technical history of 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 my father So I'm trying to sort of figure out how to get that across, but also tell some of the stories and some of the significant history in his own words, and um, finishing editing the book itself. Beautiful. And that's been that's been that's been a long it's, it's been a long process. And in there, my father also loved 
photography. He always had a camera with him, and it's a, a passion that we shared together. So he was always taking pictures and snapping shots. So I'm in the process of copywriting photos, going through literally bins and bins and bins of photos, and creating high-quality, high-res images, and copywriting them so that it'll also be a part of the book. You're talking about a mammoth work here. I mean, I can understand the time and the effort that it must be taking you, but to do it right, I mean, yeah, wow. I can't wait. I mean, I'm on the list now. I'm waiting for it to come out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No more, no more pressure added, please. <laughs> no more at all. No. Well, uh, you know, yeah. And, and, you know, and I want to, uh, you know, for my own selfish interest, you know, I, I want to I, I be warmed up to... Uh, to who Mr. Tom Dowd was, you know, it, his life is so well displayed in music, yes, uh, and we learn about him from that. But to also um, to humanize his story, which I, which is certainly something that you can do from from that perspective. Um, that I'm really interested in hearing that too. I I don't just want to know about Tom Dowd's greatest hits, of which there are many. I want to know about him and his life and his joys. Uh, and the things that, that made him that incredibly complicated human being. So, again, <laughs> not to give you just a little bit more work to do. But and and I'm sure that you want to you know you want to humanize your dad's story as well. No, of course. You know, I read a, a review of the film um, that was not very nice. I, I'd say 99.9% of the reviews I've wrote I've read of the film. Are, are unbelievable. You know, everybody is, is, is very kind and, and has really lovely things to say. And there was one particular, inter, there was one particular critique of the film that um, they, somebody said, oh, it's this character, like he's, he's faking it, he's a phony, and he's using all these big words, and he's this and he's that. And he wasn't. Like the guy that you see on the screen and like the funny voices that he makes and the stories and the hands, that was my father. <laughs> he was really, like that, that's who he was. That's exactly who he was. There was no acting in that film of him coming, trying to come across as somebody he wasn't. Really, really, um, he was really, really had a wicked sense of humor. We, you know, we, we used to joke about it because he is of Irish ancestry. Mm. You know, that wicked Irish sense of humor. Um, <laughs> I mean, really wicked Irish sense of humor. One time, like, I was on in one of his bookshelves and looking at all of his books, and I said, what is that book? It says Irish art. And I opened the book, and it's literally a blank book. There's no art in it. <laughs> Irish art. Funny. <laughs> Irish art, and, and, and it was the title of the book, and you open it, and the pages are blank. It's all empty. I mean, <laughs> I mean but, that, but that's, the, that's, the type of, that's the type of humor that he had. Um, you know, he loved listening to music. If he, wasn't, if he wasn't listening to music, he was watching sports on his time off. Mm. Um, or, or he was fishing. Um, he, you know, we had a, we had a boat here in Miami, me growing up, a fishing boat, a Bertram that my mother had, had, had surprised him with as a gift. And if he was home on Sunday morning, he and I would go out on the boat together and let her sleep in on a Sunday. And we'd go out and catch whatever we caught and he'd come home and he'd fillet it himself and have my mother, you know, cook it off that night. Um, he, and he, he really, really loved, he loved fishing. He loved music. He loved being outdoors. 
Mm. Um, you know, we some, some like wild adventures. One morning he called me. We would try to have the days we weren't out on the boat. We'd have, we'd have breakfast every Sunday if he was in town. And he called me and he's like, we're going to the Everglades today, kiddo, come on. And like we literally went down to the Everglades, which is our national park here, and went on like an alligator boat ride to find alligators, you know, like. Okay, this is something, you know, as a 12-year-old, as a you do with your father on a daily basis. <laughs> but but, but he, 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 loved, he loved the, the outdoors um, in regards to, like, fishing and, and, and doing really cool things. He was also really um, just into, into art history and, 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 and a history buff in general. Um, most people don't realize, and it's not really discussed, my father was born in New York City but raised in Paris the first seven years of his life. So his first language was actually French, and he spoke perfect Parisian French. And most people do not know that about him. Um, him and Ami, if they were in a room together, they used to sit there and speak in French together. <laughs> and, and people would be like, Tom speaks French. Nobody knew that my father spoke French. Same thing with Mika. Mika and my father would sit there and speak in French together. It was just very funny. Like, nobody knew that about him. So, you know, when I, was, when I was growing up, like I said, I spent a lot of time in London. And my mother and I, on one particular trip, wanted to take me to Paris. And we were in Paris for, like, two weeks. And my father said to my mother, I'll come, whatever, who knows what album we were recording at the time, whatever, whatever we're recording, I don't want you to take, I don't want you to take Dana to the Louvre. I want to take her to the Louvre. And my father and I spent one weekend, two days, like 10 hours or eight hours, eight, I want to say like six, eight hours a day for two straight days going through the Louvre together. And he was sitting there telling me the historical significance of all of this amazing art on the walls. Um, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a eighth grader in, in junior high school, at least when I was back in school in this country, there used to be like a field trip to Washington, D.C. for the eighth grade class. Uh-huh. And instead of me going on the eighth grade class trip, my father said, instead, I, I can take four days off. Do you want to do Washington, D.C. and all of the museums and the monuments with me? And because he wasn't always around, I jumped at the opportunity and I said, sure, I won't go on the eighth grade trip. I'd rather go with my father because he was so knowledgeable, but he was just so cool, too. Like, he was a really cool guy and he really knew his stuff. So I skipped out on the eighth grade trip and whatever weekend my father was available, he and I went to Washington, D.C. for four days and went on this, this trip and walked all of the monuments and did the Smithsonian and did all these museums in D.C. I love that. that. That's that's a beautifully warm uh, picture of your dad. That's a beautifully warm uh, place. You know, I can tell it means a lot to you, as it certainly it would. Incredibly um, beautiful for me to hear that. I I think that's that. I I can just picture the two of you. You know, at at that age, a very impressionable, very important age in your life, and here you are um, on this. Beautiful journey with with your dad. So 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 intelligent, so careful, so mindful of, of art, both as a creator and an appreciator. Uh, wow, that's that's such a beautiful window. And Dan, thank you for telling us that. That's so beautiful. Yeah, no, no, it's my pleasure. And and like you know, like you said, like it's to humanize him. You know, people I look at him as this this recording 
you know, engineer and producer who did all of this music. And, you know, yeah, he was, he was really a normal dude. He was probably, my mother and I joked up until the time of his passing, like, we were his ego. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we were, we were, we were his ego. <laughs> like, he, he had absolutely no ego. He, he just, he, he didn't have one. It was, it was crazy. You know, he would, he, one day he called me, he's like, kiddo, I need to go to Target to get some new sneakers. And I'm like, why are you going to Target to get new sneakers? Can't you just <laughs> yeah. go to the Nike shop down the street? Right. And he's like, I have good, really reasonably priced ones at Target. And I was like, okay, dad, then, you know, have at it. Go to Target and buy your sneaks. Like, <laughs> See, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful thing. A, a person that wasn't changed by, by all that that was that was around him, by all the the folks that were around him. Of course, Ahmed lived in a uh, a circle of, of of billionaires and millionaires. But for that, but that didn't change uh, the heart of, of who your dad was. It didn't, it didn't corrupt him. And if you want to know why he's got a, a discography as long as he does, well, that I think goes right to the heart of it. You know, the lack of ego, the humility. Because somebody that worked that hard, that for that many people, that many albums, has to have been a, a easy person to work with. I mean, maybe a, a hard taskmaster to get the product right, but still, uh, he had to be a joy to be around. People liked being around your dad, working with your dad. Obviously, you don't get... 75 pages of a discography if you're hated. He's a really easy going humble guy, but um, you know, if you crossed him, it obviously it wasn't a good thing either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But wow, beautiful. I know, oh, probably um, two years ago, um, we got to talk uh, through a, uh, uh, a, a fellow DJ here uh, who grew up and went to school with um, Andy Newmark, who was a drummer. With, that worked mm-hmm. with your dad. I forget what it was that he worked with on, and uh, something came up, and I asked him if he had any if he had any stories about your dad, and he said, "Well, he would always make people feel at ease." But there was this one time he was drumming, and he could feel your dad pacing behind him with the stopwatch. Okay, and it was okay. No, no, no problem. No problem. Was something wrong, Tom? No, no problem, Andy. It's just that. And then he points out this, you know, infinitesimally. Uh, different timing versus, you know, like, well, you played these three measures at this, but that last measure you played at this. You know, and no one, of course, would have known or appreciated it except your dad. And that, you know, and, and it was that beautiful insight of that, that, that both the, the amazing technical person, but the person also didn't want to, he wasn't trying to throw the artist off. He just wanted him to be aware that he played that last measure a little faster than the first one. <laughs> That, that that actually sounds exactly that sounds exactly like him. I mean, he had his little Casio watch with his stopper on it that he always had to have with him for that particular reason. And you know, he had a he had a fairly decent watch collection, and he always had to have that Casio with him. And because he he wanted to he wanted to be able to count the time if he needed to. So that's that's a great story. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> And it scared the crap out of him working, just working with your dad. It wasn't even the timing. It was just the fact that I'm in the room and Tom Dowd is engineering this album and I better be good because I know what he's done. <laughs> oh, no. 
Beautiful. My gosh, beautiful. Well, boy, you, so much stuff here. I hope we can talk again because, uh, you know, to sort of maybe fine-tune it down to, uh, uh, you know, some particular time or period or whatever. This was kind of our first introduction into saying hi to you and, and welcoming you to uh, Amit's house to help you uh, get to know a little bit about it and, and our sincere desire uh, to, uh, uh, to, to keep that name alive in history. Uh, and to grow it. Uh, there's a lot of people that need to know who Tom Dowd was, and we are going to do uh, everything that we can uh, here uh, to make sure that that happens. Yeah, I'm very grateful. Thank you for the time, and um, thank you all for everything that you're doing, you know, to preserve Ahmed and Atlantic Records and Jerry and my father and Arif and Nestri and all the all the boys. It, it, it's a really obviously it means it's a lot. To, it means a lot to me. Um, but I feel like just overall, it's a very important part of music history that you know needs to always continue being properly preserved. So thank you for all the amazing work y'all are doing. Oh, you're you're so welcome, Dana. It, it really does, you know, because. Um, you know, I play all kinds of tunes in Amit's house, uh, from the very well-known to the very obscure. And I'm always amazed at, you know, you pick a name. Like uh, the other day I was playing some jazz from Chris Connor. And I thought to myself, you know, there's one of those names that's like right on the edge. Now, Chris Connor was a huge jazz vocalist in her day, but she hasn't lived out, you know, she hasn't weathered the storm of erosion like, you know, like a Billie Holiday or a Sarah Vaughan who's, who's names are you know, still pretty well known. And you start to see, little by little, they fade. Little by little, those, those lesser-known names drop off the cliff, never to come back. And what a shame that would be to have that happen for, for anybody who put years and, and passion uh, and poured their life into creating this beautiful music um, with the help of your dad. I mean, Absolutely. I have, I have a funny fact for you. Did you know that my father, Ahmed, and Jerry wrote a song together? I did not, I don't think, no. <laughs> it's called Warm Your Heart. Warm Your Heart. Was it ever put recorded, put down, or who recorded it? It was. Now I'm going to let you do your homework. <laughs> okay, I'll do my homework, but I can go back to the teacher if I need extra help. Okay. Because, because, nobody, because no, nobody, nobody knew that, and it was funny because I have a Tom Down in the Language of Music Facebook page. Um, that I ad ad administrate along with Mark Mormon, the director of the film, that I do about probably 85-90% of anything that comes off of there. And I posted it one day and I tagged um, Jerry's son in it. And he was like, Dana, he's like, I don't think that my father wrote this song. And I said, and, and I said to Paul, Jerry's son, I said, Paul, I said, well, I said, you better look at your royalty statements. <laughs> <laughs> I said because you do, you do indeed. He did write the song <laughs> with my father and Amit, and um, you may want to take a listen to it as well. <laughs> oh my God! I certainly, certainly will. I'll, I'll see if I can't grab that if it's available out there. I will definitely grab that. And uh, wow. Okay. Well, what a fitting song to be able to play uh, during uh, uh, this edition of Amit House, along with your words. I mean, oh my gosh! Wow. Well, Dana, I, I thank you, uh, really, from the bottom of my heart, taking the time out in your, in your life. Uh, uh, Florida, is that, where you, is that where you're living? You're still living in Florida? Um, yes, I live. I reside in Miami, Florida. Nice. 
Fantastic. Well, I will uh, hopefully be passing through someday, and uh, we'll see if it all can somehow connect. And uh, if you come up to New York or, you know, in your travels or whatever, maybe we can uh, meet up in some place like that and have a real sit-down and uh, together time to talk about uh, your dad and, and about you. I'd like to know a little more about your life and music, too. I mean, what, what's happened? I mean, how has this, um, this inspired your working career? That's another topic for another day, you know, so I don't keep you forever. A topic for another day. (laughs) Well, hey, I invite you into this thing, Dana. It's very important. Um, uh, You know, it's important. These these names that we honor, it's it's very important to have family that helps us honor these people in a way that nobody else can. I mean, I can do it from my heart with absolute sincerity. But but I'm not his family, you know. Um, I've gotten to know Joe Martin, uh, Arif's son, uh, who's a wonderful uh, man. Joe's a wonderful, wonderful man. Absolutely. Love Joe. Uh, to have that, um, I've been able to, through Mrs. Erdogan, I've, uh, I've met uh, Leila and uh, Rustem, uh, uh, Neshui's two children. So, you mm-hmm. know, to know the, the families like that is... Uh, it's great, and and I ask for your help as well. And I don't know that I can help you much because you're pretty well connected. But if if there's someone that uh, that you can connect me to, uh, to talk about your dad or to talk about this project, um, I, I invite you into it because together we can do so much more than than we can alone. And uh, I'm passionate about the remainder of my life being devoted to these uh, these people getting their 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 due, getting their their day. I love it, and thank you for the invitation. I, I accept. <laughs> Beautiful. Thanks once again for joining along this time in this very special conversation. And there will be an updated conversation not too long in the future. Here's the last one, the recording that when it was done, Tom called up Ahmed and said, I have just finished the best stereo recording since the genius of Ray Charles. Wow. Hi, this is Bobby Whitlock. When, uh, we had... We thought, finished uh, recording the, and doing all what overdubs were done on the Layla record. And Tom Dawson, hey fellas, uh, we got room for one more song on here. And uh, there was a guy that showed up uh, with a load of guitars. Because uh, Eric had, had uh, actually this guy showed up before this. Because Eric used that orange guitar, and that was that was the last overdub on uh, the, the Layla uh, uh, outro. Because he brought he brought bought that orange guitar that you see on, on, on the photo. He bought that to uh, just for the sound of it to put on, on one part on the uh, piano coda going out. But a guy had uh, brought. That orange guitar and a couple of Martins and something else, I don't know what else it was he brought for us to look at, for, or actually for Eric to look at. And Dwayne um, and, and, and Eric and Bruce McCaskill, our, our road guy, he was out to listen. And this dude had all these guitars spread out on the floor in a free of criteria. And uh, Eric was kind of going through them all playing on it. He picked the, the orange guitar and then picked up a, a, a D35 Martin and played it. He said, this is really nice. And then to me, he said, this is yours. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, man. I mean, because I didn't have my own guitar. He was tired of me playing his guitars and borrowing his guitars all the time. Uh, the only one I had was my big mama's dobro. 
But uh, I was always born with Erickson breaking the strings and stuff, so I just figured he'd be tired of it. And uh, well, I handed it to Dwayne, to Dwayne and he, he picked on it a little bit and handed it back to me. And uh, Tom says, hey, man, we've got uh, uh, room for one more song on here. And Eric uh, had put his, he put his deal on, on, on at the end of Layla. And uh, Eric turned to me after, and he said, hey, man, you want to do, why don't you do Thorn Tree? And I was like, wow, man, this is way too cool. I'll be happy to do it, you know. And uh, Tom positioned the star out there with, it was one overhead mic that he had, and, and I think there was one other room ambiance mic. And Carl was plugged up, and here's an amp in the back of the room. And Jim was playing a little bell. Uh, I was sitting on a stool. Eric was on one to my left, a stool. And um, to his left was uh, Jim Gordon with his little bell. And then Carl was standing next to Jim's on his left. And then just next to him and, and to my right and in front of me was Dwayne playing the dobro. And Tom, we played through one, did one little run through. Tom, Dad came out and repositioned, not us, but the microphone. And uh, we went, he went back in and we did it all in one take. It sounded like a, a music box. Between Eric playing what he was playing, what I, me playing what I was playing, and Dwayne playing the harmonics, it sounds just like a music box that you would open. There's a thorn tree in the garden, if you know just what I mean. And I hate to hurt your feelings, but it's not the way it seems. Cause I miss her She's the only girl I've cared for The only one I've known And no one ever shared my love And we alone And I miss her But it all seems so strange to see She'd never turn her back on me And leave without a last goodbye And if she winds up a walk in the streets Loving every other man to me
for the memory of Ahmet Erdogan in the days when Atlantic Records was the most magnificent record company on the planet. Good night.